All right, let's get your church constitution out. If you do not have one, would you raise your hand if you didn't get a church constitution? All right, I want the teenagers to have it and all the adults. So we're going to be going through it again this week and next week. And then next Sunday night, we're going to vote on it to approve the new church constitution. Now, if you have any questions about it, if, some, if you read something in that and you say, I'm not sure what's going on with that, be sure to talk to one of the deacons and myself. All you deacons, stand up. I want everybody to know who the deacons are. So if you want to, Ty is standing up in the back. Jeff Bradshaw's in the back waving his hand. Uh, let's see, who, who are my other deacons? They're in junior church. Where? In the nursery. All right. So your children are torturing the other deacons right now. But if you have any questions about anything, any bit of it, please come and talk to us. And then we will approve it next week unless there are changes that need to be made based on the input of church members. This is a church decision. I will say this. Statement of faith is probably not changing. <laughs> so if you have any questions about the statement of faith, please ask us. It might be something that you don't quite understand. It's possible that we've worded something wrongly. The doctrine, though, is not going to change. Amen? That was lame. It's Father's Day. Pretend you're men for a minute. That's not going to change. Right. Awesome. Was that ugly? It was ugly. All right. Look at page three on your statement of faith. Page three on your statement of faith. If you're a guest with us, I'm glad you get to know who we are. It's wonderful that you can see what we believe and how a church functions, and uh, I'm glad that you get to see this, and I hope that you also will take a church constitution and look at what we are looking at here. So we're on page three, we're at the person and work of the Holy Spirit, letter E. So look with me at John chapter 16. I was preaching out in Mount Vernon, Washington, north of Seattle, all this last week, and there are people out there that listen to our podcast or that watch our YouTube stuff. And I, I, I had a little bit different presentation that I did. And a lady said she was disappointed that I didn't start the, the, my message out there with, open your Bibles. Apparently every service I say, open your Bibles. And so they were disappointed I didn't do that. So today, open your Bibles to John chapter 16 and verse 8. John chapter 16 and verse 8. And so look, let's look, and we're going to read our statement on the person and work, and then we'll look at some scripture. We believe that the Holy Spirit is a person who convicts the world of sin. Now, when we say that the Holy Spirit is a person, we don't mean that he has flesh and bones because he's a spirit, right? But he is a person. He's a distinct personality. We believe that the Holy Spirit is a person who convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, and that he is the supernatural agent in regeneration. Now, regeneration, that's the new birth. That's when you're born again. Baptizing all believers into the body of Christ, indwelling and sealing them unto the day of redemption. So John chapter 16 and verse 8. And when he has come, that's the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. So, just basic statements on who the Holy Spirit of God is. Um, 
Look at what it says in verse 13. Howbeit when he has come, the spirit of truth, I'm sorry, but when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now notice what it says. He's not going to speak of himself. What the Father says, what the Son says, that's what the Holy Spirit will say. And here's where that's important. If the Holy Spirit tells you to do something that violates something that the Bible has said, that's not the Holy Spirit. And so it's very important to understand that you will know what the Holy Spirit is telling you because the Holy Spirit will always agree with this. If you are hearing something that disagrees with this, it is not from the Holy Spirit. So the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is vital in our understanding of the church. Look at the next page. Number two, we believe that he is the divine teacher who assists believers to understand and appropriate the scriptures. Let me read that again when you all are there. We believe that he is the divine teacher who assists believers to understand and appropriate the scriptures. The Bible says that the natural man receives not the things of God because they are spiritually discerned. The Bible says they can't understand them. Have you ever been talking to somebody about your belief? And you tell them something that the Bible says and they look at you like you've got three heads. It's because they're lost. They're not born again. If you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, that's why you can't understand the Bible. You must be born again. And I hope that today is the day of your salvation. It's a wonderful thing. It's amazing. When you get saved, now when the preacher communicates the word of God... Now you start to have a more of an understanding. It really is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. And it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us. One of the things I love is that when I preach the gospel, like right now, when I'm telling you that Jesus Christ is your Savior and you must be born again, I know that for those of us who are saved, the Holy Spirit's saying, that's right, that's right. For some of you who are not born again, the Holy Spirit's knocking on your door saying, you must be born again, you must be born again, you must be born again. He's convincing you of your sin. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So the Holy Spirit is the teacher. Number three, we believe that God is sovereign in the bestowal of grace gifts to every believer. God uniquely uses evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip believers in the assembly. Every, According to the book of Ephesians, when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, how many of you believe that Jesus ascended into heaven? If you believe that, then you also believe that he gave you gifts. If you're born again, God gives you spiritual gifts. I believe that most of those gifts are given to you at birth. They're in your DNA and that they become spiritually alive and spiritually active when you're born again. Amen? Some of you have the gift of discernment. Some of you have the gift of administration. Some of you have the gift of prophecy. Not that you see the future, but you're able to discern truth and speak the truth. Some of you have the gift of mercy. We're thankful for you mercy people. Because of people like me, we need people like you. Amen. All of us have spiritual gifts that God has given us. Then, God uniquely uses pastors, evangelists, and teachers to equip believers that we do believe in the calling of God on the preacher. And that if a man is not called, if God has not created a man to do this job, it's miserable for the man and it's miserable for his hearers. Amen? We believe that. And so to equip believers in the assembly, 
in order that they can do the work of the ministry. And that's what the Bible says in Ephesians 4. And he gave some apostles and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the working of the saints, for the, I'm I'm sorry, for the, the, let's look at it, Ephesians 4. For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, but let's look at it. I was thinking during the song service, I have way too much happening in my head right now. And that was just demonstrated. Look at verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The job of the pastor teacher is to edify, to mature, to perfect the believers so that the believers can do the work of the ministry, which is the making of disciples. All right, look at verse, look at verse, look at number four on your constitution. This is so important. Okay, is everybody awake? If you're awake, say amen. amen. You need to wake up at this one right here. Okay? We believe that the sign gifts of the Holy Spirit, such as speaking in tongues and the gift of healing, were temporary. They were signs for the Jews. The Bible says the Jews require a sign, but the Greeks seek after wisdom. The Bible in Matthew chapter 12 says, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. If you're looking for a sign, the Bible says you're wicked and adulterous. God, give me a sign. He already did. You're wicked and adulterous. And he said, you'll see no other sign but the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If Christ's resurrection from the dead is not a big enough sign for you, then you are wicked and adulterous. He said in Christian love. I'm just quoting scripture. How many of you know people that are looking for a sign? They're always looking for a sign. The Bible says that that's a wicked and adulterous generation. That's what it says, Matthew chapter 12. You can look it up. We believe that the sign gifts of the Holy Spirit, such as speaking in tongues and the gift of healing, were temporary. Speaking in tongues was never the common or necessary sign of baptism or the filling of the Holy Spirit. Years ago, we saw Laura was watching TV, and she saw um, Peter Dosick's wife preaching And she said, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. That is a lie. You're saved when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. You repent of your sin. You become a a child of God. You're born again. You are saved. There's nothing about speaking in tongues and salvation in the Bible. Amen? I was playing golf and ended up playing with Peter Dosick, and I asked him about that. And he said, well, we don't believe that. Well, your wife said it. Ultimate deliverance from sickness or death. Again, if you're a guest, you might say, I don't know if you should talk about other preachers. The Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians said, I withstood Peter to his face because he was to be blamed. If you can call out the Apostle Peter, you can call out whatever Dosik's name is. Amen? All right. Ultimate deliverance from sickness or death awaits separation of the body through physical death from life here on this earth while awaiting the reuniting of a perfect body and soul in the presence of Christ. I don't have time to spend a lot of time on this, but have you ever noticed, have you ever seen a healing service advertised? Have you ever seen that? 
Do they restore limbs? They cure headaches. When they restore limbs, that might be from God. Jesus restored limbs. Remember Peter cut the dude's ear off? Jesus picked it up, brushed it off, put it back on his head. That's healing. If you can't do that, you call yourself a healer, you're a liar. The book of Ephesians, or I'm sorry, to the church at Ephesus, Jesus Christ said that this thou hast, that they've tried them which say they're apostles and are not, and has found them liars. Jesus commended them for that. If someone tells you they're an apostle, they're a liar. Because the, the office of the apostle ended with the apostle Paul. And those sign gifts were the signs of the apostles. I can't heal you. I wish I could. I do wish that God would allow me to do that. He has chosen not to. We trust God. Amen? And you ought to be glad because they also killed Ananias and Sapphira. And we just had our offering. (laughs) Y'all be thankful. I can't do it. All right. Ultimate deliverance from sickness or death awaits separation from the body through physical death from life on this earth while awaiting the reuniting of a perfect body and soul in the presence of Christ. The Bible in Romans chapter 8 says that the whole creation groans, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. The Bible says it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we see him, we'll know him because we're going to be like him. The Bible says that we're waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body from the earth until then we groan in agony. The Bible says that my body is dying every day, but the spirit is renewed day by day. You will have physical suffering until death. That's a part of the sin fall that happened in uh, the Garden of Eden. All right. Um, So, furthermore, deliverance of the body from sickness or death for those that remain alive at Christ's appearing will be accomplished at the taking up, the rapture. However, God frequently chooses to answer the prayers of believers for for physical healing. Aren't you thankful for that? How many of you are thankful that God still heals? Praise God. Believing that the sign gifts ended with the apostles does not limit God. If God chooses to heal you, he can. One of my favorite illustrations of that is Dr. Ree. I was standing there when the, the neurologist looked at his, I think it's the EEG, and saw a change, and he said, I don't understand. We didn't do this. I know who did it. God did it. We believe that God can and does heal based on his choice, not our choice. Amen? God can do anything he chooses to do. So that's what we believe about the Holy Spirit. Then what about the depravity of man? Now, you know that there's a Calvinistic teaching of the depravity of man. That's part of that tulip outline, and they teach total depravity. What, What the Calvinist teaches about total depravity, and remember we saw last week under our section on dispensationalism, we reject the allegorical interpretations of covenant theology and all of its derivatives. That's Calvinism. The Calvinistic teaching of total depravity, they don't mean depravity. They mean total inability of a lost man to respond to the gospel. 
That's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Calvinist says, I believe that. I just don't believe that a lost man can do that unless God has already saved him. The Calvinist believes that God regenerates the lost sinner against his will, and because he's regenerated, then he calls on the name of the Lord. There's nothing in the Bible that teaches that. We reject that. Amen? We reject that. Here's our teaching on depravity of man. We believe that man was created in complete innocence and in a perfect environment, but because of his own free will, he transgressed God. The difference between that and the Calvinist, Arthur Pink, famous Baptist Calvinist, he said that, yes, Adam ate the fruit in the garden. He had to. It was God's will that Adam ate the fruit in the garden. How many of you understand that that's blasphemy? That's God causing a man to sin. That is not the God that we worship. Of his own free will, he transgressed. The result of Adam's sin is not only physical and spiritual death for all mankind, but is also the endowment of a sin nature at conception. Therefore, all people are sinners, not only by constraint, but by choice, and are unable to regain their former position of innocence, abiding under just condemnation without defense or excuse before God. The Bible teaches that people are not sinners because they sin, but sin because they are sinners. Amen? Look at Romans chapter 5. And look at verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin... And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. One thing that I hope that you know, at Grace Baptist Church, what we believe is what the Bible says. And there is always a a passage, and we're going to learn this as we dive into our, our how to study the Bible here in a couple of weeks. What we learn is that there's always a full mention. If there's a statement, if there's, if there's a doctrine that God wants us to know, there's always a passage that teaches us that. So just like the depravity of man, Romans 5.12 is the full mention. For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So that means we're all sinners. That's what we believe about the depravity of man. All right, salvation. What do we believe about salvation? Now you'll notice that I have a typo in here, and I'll, I'll point it out to you. We believe that salvation is a gift of God given to man by grace through faith alone in Paul's gospel. Now, i got to stop there. Paul's gospel. Paul's gospel. Don't miss this. We are dispensationalists. We talked about this last week. We are dispensationalists. That means that we understand that the gospel of Paul is different than the gospel of the Old Testament. The gospel of the Old Testament is found in Mark chapter 1. So let's look at Mark 1. And it's found many places in the Gospels. Mark chapter 1 and verse 4. John did baptize in the wilderness, this is John the Baptist, and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. What were they repenting of? They had not looked 
for the king. They had not looked for the Messiah. They had stopped believing that the Messiah was coming. So his message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does at hand mean? It's right here. You can touch it. Jesus was there. He was there ready to establish his kingdom on earth and be their Messiah. But he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to be called the sons of God. That's John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. So it's very important that we understand that the message they were preaching when the disciples were walking the earth was not the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at Luke chapter 24. Get Luke 24, Matthew chapter 10. Those of you who have been involved in our Wednesday night Bible study or my Sunday school class, these two passages are inextricably linked in your minds. So get Luke 24, Matthew 10. Look at Matthew 10 first, verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent forth. So Jesus is sending out his disciples, his 12 apostles. Jesus, are these twelve, Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Is that what your Bible says? Go not into the way of the Gentiles. Is that different than go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? Go not into the way of the Gentiles. And into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. They did not believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They didn't know it. They didn't know it. Here's how I know that. Here's how I know it. Some of you, this is the first time you've ever heard that. Here's how I know it. Look at John, I'm sorry, look at Luke chapter 17. Hold Luke uh, 24, we're getting there. I'm sorry, it's Luke chapter 18, verse 31. How many of you have noticed I'm preaching from my old Bible today? That's because I don't know where any of these verses are in my new Bible. Verse 31. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. And you would expect the apostles to say, Amen, we've been waiting for this. This is what we've been preaching for three and a half years. Let's see if that's what happened. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on. And they shall scourge him, and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. Now, how many of you understand that's the gospel of Paul? How many of you know that? Right? Let's see if this is what they had been preaching. Look at the next verse. And they understood all of these things because they had been preaching them for three and a half years. Is that what your Bible says? Let's, so so you, you help me out. I want you to say it out loud, okay? I'm, when, when I stop. And they understood what? Do you realize how many Christians don't know that? Can I say? Almost all of them. Do you know why? Because they're hearing sermons. They're not studying the words of the Bible. 
At Grace Baptist Church, we believe the words. And the, the reason we understand the Bible is because the words teach us the Bible. We don't follow any man's teaching. We follow the words of God. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. Let's, let's make sure that we understand how long that was the case. Look at John chapter 20. John chapter 20. So this is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 1, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Now, if they had been preaching the death, burial, and resurrection, Mary would be celebrating right here. It's true. What they said is true. She goes back and she says, what does she tell them? She says, then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, the, the, the penman of this gospel, and saith unto them, they have taken away the stone, I'm sorry, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Why didn't she say he's risen? What, answer, why didn't he, she say he was risen? So they run, and I love it that John has to write down that he beat Peter. See in verse 4? So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun and came first to the sepulcher. I just, he was a dude. And stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself, then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. And every Easter, some preacher says, he believed in the resurrection. He saw it, and he believed. Do you believe? How many of you ever heard a sermon like that? They forget to read the next verse. For as yet, they knew, what's that next word? The scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Paul's gospel is different than the gospel that the disciples were preaching before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The reason that's important is the New Testament did not begin until the death of Christ. That's where the New Testament began. All right, so go back to Luke chapter 24. Jesus has just appeared to two of the disciples on the Emmaus Road. Now he is appearing before the disciples and he makes them a meal by the water. Verse 44. Luke chapter 24 and verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I yet spake unto you. I'm sorry, which I spake unto you while I was yet with you. Okay, so at verse 44, middle of the verse. That all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. That verse 45, that first word then, you might want to walk, mark that. That's a vital time word. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. 
So now he says, all nations. In Matthew 10, go not into the way of the Gentiles, into the way of the Samaritans, enter ye not. But go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. That's the method that God chose to use. Amen? All right, so now let's go back to our statement of faith. Salvation. We believe that salvation is a gift of God given to man by grace through faith alone in Paul's gospel. This faith being more than intellectual assent, that means you don't just know the facts, involves complete trust in the blood of Jesus Christ and total confidence in the finished, what do you think ought to be right there? Work. Would you write down work? We'll reprint these, but I left out the word work. Total confidence in the finished work of the cross. Salvation is possible only through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who made a full, vicarious, and substitutionary atonement for our sin, redeeming us from the curse of the law and justifying us through his death, burial, and resurrection. So vicarious, that's substitutionary in our place, full representative death, redeeming us. He bought us back from the curse of the law, justifying us. We can be declared righteous through his death, burial, and resurrection. The essence of biblical salvation is birth. The new birth, regeneration, results in a new creature. That's transformation in Jesus Christ that is instantaneous and not processional. In other words, your salvation takes place at a point in time. It's not a process. Amen? You're either saved or you're lost. You're born or you're not born. In the new birth, the one dead in trespasses and sins is imparted a new nature and a spiritual life not previously possessed, is is forgiven of sin and is given eternal life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Salvation is totally apart from any effort of man such as good works, baptism, or church membership. The Calvinist says that if you say that a person must believe in order to be saved, then that belief is a work, and they call that semi-Pelagianism. Remember, young people, what do you say when someone says you're a semi-Pelagist? What do you say? Your mom's a semi-Pelagian. That's that's the right answer. All right? So we don't believe in works. The Bible says, if of faith, then not of works. Can, Can everybody say that? If of faith, then not of works. Everyone, if of faith, then not of works. Faith is not a work, according to the word of God. All right. Proper evidences of salvation are a walk in newness of life, resultant of the aforementioned fruit of the Spirit. Although sin in his life may interrupt the joy of his fellowship with God and bring the loving discipline of his heavenly Father, a child of God is eternally secure, unable to lose his salvation. Amen? That's what Grace Baptist Church teaches on the doctrine of salvation. Letter H, the eternal security and assurance of believers. How many of you are glad you're saved forever? Are you glad you're saved forever? I heard an old preacher say one time, if my salvation was based on feelings, I wouldn't be saved until I had my first cup of coffee in the morning. Amen. So, let's look at this. We believe that all the redeemed, so redeemed, those are people that God has saved by belief in the the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. 
We believe that all the redeemed, once saved, are kept by God's power and are thus secure in Christ forever. Forever. Let's look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. This is such a wonderful passage. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to that them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now you know that people who believe you can lose your salvation, they read that. Here's what they read. This is, this is what's happening in their heads. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, if... They walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. How many of you know that? That's what they teach. That's not what it's teaching. You can't walk after the, the Spirit. You can only walk after the flesh if you're lost. If you're saved, now you can walk after the Spirit. Because you're spiritually alive. Before that, you're spiritually dead. You just have to understand what happens at salvation for that verse, for you to understand what that's saying about eternal security. All right, look at number two. Page five there. We believe that it is the privilege of believers to rejoice in the assurance of, of their salvation through the testimony of God's Word, which, however, clearly forbids the use of Christian liberty as an occasion to the flesh. So you're saying because you, you're, you're saying you're once saved, always saved, that means you can do whatever you want and still go to heaven? Yes. How many of you get a little uncomfortable with that? Be honest. Get a little uncomfortable with that. Especially you legalists. You, you legalists who say, a Christian would never do that. I can't believe a man who'd do that is even saved. Well, that's because you don't understand your flesh. You know what I'm going to say? Cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. See, we're, just, we're sinners. We're, we're just saved sinners. Amen? And if I walk in the flesh, I can do anything a lost man can do. It's just the truth. It's just the truth. The difference is I shouldn't. It's wrong for me to use that security as an occasion to the flesh. Or, to make, put it in, in more common language, to sin, to live in a bad way because I know that I'm going to heaven. It's wrong to do that. Young people, you can do that. But I can tell you this, God will punish you in this life. You still get to go to heaven. You'll just go there with a, with a sore butt. Because the Bible says, whom he loves, he'll chasten. Is that what the Bible says? If you're a bastard, you don't have a father, he's not going to chasten you. So, I can't believe you said that. I'm quoting scripture. Is that what the Bible says? But if he treats you like a son, he'll chasten you. But you still get to go to heaven. You still... Boy, legalists, they hate to say that out loud. Well, people might sin. Oh, truth causes people to sin. So you're telling me truth causes people to sin. No, no. When we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. I write these things to you that you sin not. But when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. That's First John. That's what it says. Don't sin. But when you do, you have an advocate with the Father. Why? You're eternally secure. But don't let that eternal security cause you to live in a wrong way. That's the teaching of Scripture. All right. The church. 
I've got five minutes. How many of you think that I can cover what we believe about the church in five minutes? Laura told me I had to be done at 1.30 today. Oh, 11.30, sorry. <laughs> she just said, 1.30? Actually, she didn't. I promised her I'd be done at 11.30 so she can have lunch ready. All right. We believe that the local church, which is the body, is solely made up of born-again persons. Amen? Now, let's make a distinction. It's really important. The local church is identified as a body in Scripture. But the body of Christ, let me just be real clear, is the body of Christ. It's the body that was nailed on the cross. It's the body that went into the tomb. It's the body that rose from the dead. It's the body that ascended to the right hand of the Father and is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for the saints. And that body is the body that's going to return and will set his feet on Mount of Olives, and that Mount of Olives will split, and he'll march in and be seated on the throne of David in Jerusalem. That body. Amen? Amen. The local church is the only physical representation of that body on earth until Jesus Christ returns, okay? So, we believe that the local church, which is the body, is solely made up of born-again persons. We believe that the establishment and continuance of local churches is clearly taught and defined in the New Testament Scriptures so that the local church continues. Remember a little while ago, uh, last year or year before, I can't remember how long ago it was, we had some people who were teaching they don't believe in church membership, they don't believe the church still exists, they don't believe that you confess your sins anymore, they don't believe water baptism is for today, and we said, "Bye bye Right? They went up from us because they are not of us. This is what we believe. Okay. When I do two ears, you know, I really want to, I really want to hear it. You think you're the only, the only one that's right. Well, on this one, I am. And this is what we believe because it's what the Bible says. Number three, we believe in the autonomy of the local church, free of any external authority or control, except for the sole authority of the scriptures. That's why when other churches were not having church during COVID, we were having church. Why? Because God told us to. Man, I respect Jim Jordan. Aren't you glad we've got a great congressman like that? But if he told us to do something in the church that violates Scripture, see you, Jim. Love you. Have a good life. Not going to do it. The Bible is our sole authority. If the Southern Baptist... Now, we're not a Southern Baptist church, but let's say the Southern Baptist Convention said the Southern Baptists are going to do this. Now, how many of you know that they just elected a liberal as the president? A critical race theory... Liberal is now the head of the Southern Baptist Convention. So let's say they tell us you have to teach, and they don't do this in the Southern Baptist Convention, but let's say that they did. You must teach this. See ya! There's no outside organization that's going to tell us what to do. I graduated from Crown College. Let's say the college says you have to do this. Not going to do it. West Coast Baptist College, people that we love, Heartland Baptist College, whatever, New England Baptist College, people that we would fellowship with and we appreciate them. They tell us that, well, this is what our churches are going to do. Well, if it's not in the Bible, we're not going to do it. There's no outside organization that has authority over the local church. That's why you need to pay attention when we're going through the statement of faith, because you're going to vote on this. This is who we are. All right. 
I can't get through what we teach in five minutes. We're going to stop there. Isn't this fun? Y'all don't seem to have been having nearly the fun that I am with this, but this is fantastic. Can we all stand together? How many of you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior? You know for sure that heaven's your home. Is there somebody here you'd say, don't be embarrassed, we've all done this. Is there someone here that would say, I don't know if I died today that I'd go to heaven? I'm not sure that Jesus is my Savior. Would you raise your hand, hold it up? I'm not sure, I don't know. Man, I'm glad you're saved. I really pray that you will study this statement of faith. Look up all of the scriptures to know this is why we believe what we believe. Man, it's wonderful to have the confidence of the Word of God. You don't need to say, well, Pastor Jim teaches. That's not your authority. The Bible says. It's fine to say, my pastor taught me, and then go to the Bible. That's fine. My discipler taught me, and then go to the Bible. But if you don't go to the Bible, it really doesn't matter what you believe. This is our authority. And I'm thankful for Grace Baptist Church and that that's the foundation of what we believe here. Amen?